You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus's Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning, everybody. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, that your presence is here, it's palatable, it's personal. I pray, Lord, that in these next few moments that, Lord, heaven would simply overlap earth at this time, that, Lord, your, your life, Lord, would kind of crowd out all of the things of this world, and we would simply be taught by you, hear from your word, speak to us, Lord, and thank you for these people. Pray your blessing upon them. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. There's a lady who, she answered a knock at the door to a man with a fairly sad face, a down countenance. And he says to her, ma'am, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm collecting money for an unfortunate family in the neighborhood. Her husband's out of work. The kids are literally hungry. The utilities are about to be shut off. And tomorrow morning, uh, they're going to be evicted from uh, their apartment if they don't pay their rent by tonight. And this lady, in just a very serious way, she goes, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I would be happy to help. And then she kind of looks at him. She goes, yeah, but, but who are you? And, she, and the guy goes, well, I'm their landlord. And uh, that's funny. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I saw that story. I thought that was hilarious. It's not a true story, okay? It's a, it's a joke. It's a, a light, light moment here. But uh, isn't it true that human generosity uh, can kind of come from mixed motives? A lot of us in this room, we give our time. We give our, we give our money. We give our help. I'd say probably a lot of it's done for unselfish reasons, but sometimes it is done for selfish reasons, isn't it? To benefit ourselves. Jesus talks about this, and he talks about our mixed motives. And he challenges us to do whatever we do to do it for God and for his glory, where we are simply God-first people in all that we do, in all the expressions of our life. As many of you know, we're working our way through Jesus' famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, or we call it the Talk on the Hill. Uh, in the previous session, sections that we just finished last week, Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 16, we really talked about uh, Jesus' call, the ethics, and the way that we're supposed to live righteously in his kingdom, where he talks about the Beatitudes. And then this next section that we just finished, uh, verses 21 through 48, it focused on really the teaching of the law and what the Pharisees were teaching. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I meant when I was teaching it. And so he kind of raises the bar. Well, today we're going to start Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus focuses here on the practice of the law and how people are to do it and in some ways and not do it. So Jesus is going to be teaching about the interior redesign of our heart again. He's continuing with that. He's going to be talking about our heart and our attitudes that don't simply, the furniture of our heart doesn't simply need to be arranged. 
it needs to be taken out some of it and brought in new stuff. It needs to be redesigned so that it's looking more and more like Jesus all the time. And so Jesus comes to this people that he's been speaking to and will continue to speaking to. And he says, hey, you're focused on the outward, but I'm about the inward, the heart. Now, see, some say that God's, he's not about behavior modification. Really? Do you read the same Bible that I read? I mean, the, the six things that we just looked at in the last six weeks really are a lot about behavior modification. But, but here's the deal with Jesus. A lot of times people will come to church and they go, okay, these people don't do this, they don't do this, they do this, they do this, they don't do this. And so we change it from the outward. And Jesus says, no, I want to change your behavior, but I want it to start from within where it really matters and where it's a, a decision of your heart, an attitude of the heart, not just something that's an outward behavior that's going to make you look better. And so Jesus is going to continue to do this because all the things that Jesus wants to change in us that need to start at a heart level that works its way out into the way we walk, the way we talk and the way we live. That's what Paul said in Philippians 2 uh, verse 13. He said, I want you to work out your salvation. No, no, not work for your salvation, but I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to work out what God has graced from within. And so there's always going to be these changes and these transformations that are taking place. And Jesus is going to look at three good deeds that are commonly done by religious people. The things he's going to look at, he's going to talk about giving, he's going to talk about praying, and he's going to talk about fasting. And he points out how all of these are right things, good things, godly things to do, <clears throat> but we can do them for the wrong reasons. Believe it or not, we can do them to draw attention to ourselves. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what the kingdom is about. So let me read these first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 begins, Jesus is continuing. Remember, Matthew six, uh, 5, 6, and 7, we, this is our 20th session in it, but literally Jesus did this in one talk. So this is simply a continuation of chapter 5. He says, be careful. Be alert. Do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, You'll have no reward with your father in heaven. So whenever you go to the poor, don't sound a trumpet. Can't you just see that? Before, before you. That's what the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be applauded by people. Now, some scholars in their writings say that there was a group of Pharisees that oftentimes that they would blow a trumpet. When they blew the trumpet, uh, that meant that the poor, the needy could come to them and they would begin to pass out things to help those needy people. So kind of like the trumpet was blown and then everybody would get to see how good and how gracious and how kind and how giving they were. But I tell you, truly I tell you, that's their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be done in secret. 
And your father, your father in heaven, who sees in secret, he will reward you. So it's interesting, as we see these first four verses, Jesus talks about giving to the poor for right reasons. And, and he's really dealing with the question and the issue of motives. Now, there's, we have motives today in our contemporary churches and everything. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, I get a, a true confession. You know, I get, I get stuff almost every week about this church or that church. Come to this conference, go to this conference, and maybe you too can be like them. There's kind of this competition for bigness and for largeness and for notoriety. Sometimes it even takes the form of one-upmanship. Oh, this is what my church does. Have you ever done this or has someone done this to you? Hey, this is what my church is doing right now. And you go, oh, I'm really proud of my church. So I'm going to tell our church is doing this. And we kind of have this underlayment of, of competition. And then there's others. Personally, we want assurances that God's going to bless us because we're faithful with our material goods and our resources and we do all the right things. And it's as if that's going to kind of translate into a material bonanza for us, ongoing health or healing when we need it. It's like this quid pro quo relationship with God where he blesses us and rewards us for all of these things we do. God doesn't have a quid pro quo relationship with his loved ones. He's our heavenly father. We don't make deals with him to get his blessing. But notice the wording there where it says, in reference to your father in heaven. This is uniquely, a uniquely Methian statement because it carries connection to the majesty and the greatness of God. In, in contrast to, well, what happens to us when we begin to serve for ourselves and for selfish reasons. When we do it for God, there's this majesty about it. But when we do it for ourselves, it loses so much. Jesus is saying, when you do good deeds, don't be a show off. <laughs> don't be a glory hog. Don't stand up and go, look what I've done. Praise me, praise me, praise me. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Well, let me give you the overarching theme of what he's talking about here. The general theme of this section is stated in verse 1. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Be aware. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's an interesting statement. No reward from our Father in heaven. Uh, the word righteous this, there is dikaisune. Uh, say that with me. You, you want to learn Greek, right? Dikai Sune. Go ahead and say that. Dikai Sune. Yeah, okay, good. Now you're a scholar. Now, but, but this word, we've talked about it. I've, I've referenced this a number of times that it really has the idea of our relationship, first of all, vertically with God, horizontally with people, but it's also inclusive. Uh, some scholars see this particular word and expression of it as having to do with our relationship to the needy our willingness to give, those marginalized by society. That this whole idea of righteousness here includes good works. Well, why are we doing that? I mean, some say, it sounds like Jesus says, don't do them before men. No, he wants you to do them. But the issue will always be, who's your audience? 
Who are you trying to impress, God or people? Whose applause do you, do you really want to hear? Do you live for? Do you serve for God's or people's? Isn't it true that it's so easy to do the right thing for the wrong reasons or motives, to live for the wrong audience? I choose the word audience because it's really part of the idea here that's in the text. Where you see the words to be seen, uh, the translation is of the Greek word theothenai. Theothenai. Say that with me. Theothenai. Okay, we get our word theater from it. So what Jesus is saying here, theothenai simply means theater or theatrical from it. And a person who is doing something to be seen is simply performing, a performer. They're doing a show. And Jesus says, that's not what we're about in my kingdom. We would probably call them actors, but Jesus refers to them because he's talking to some of these people right here in this passage. He would call them hypocrites. You go through the Gospels, Jesus is oftentimes confronting these religious people, and he calls them hypocrites. It's from the Greek word hypocrites, where we get our word hypocrite from it. And it's one of those things that nobody really wants to be a part of. Nobody wants to be called a hypocrite, do they? But that word hypocrite, or hypocrites in the, in the Greek, means a play actor, an impersonator. Have you ever seen those pictures? I'm sure most of us have, where you see back in the Greek plays, back even in Jesus' day, they had these little masks. You have the happy face and the sad face. And what they would simply do is change them based on the scene and what was taking place. And Jesus says, that's what so many hypocrites are doing. That's not how my kingdom rolls. We're not going to be these people that are changing our look and our mask for whatever else is going on. We're not going to do good deeds to be noticed by others. We're not going to put on a show. Uh, we're not going to do this for the wrong audience. Oh, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? People begin to look around. They look at you and they go, oh, you're so holy. Oh, you're so godly. Oh, you're so, I just wish I could be as spiritual as you. And see, can I tell you something? Here's the bad news. So don't ever say that to me, even if you thought it. Um, if you do that, Jesus is saying, that's your reward, period. If that's your heart, so people kind of think you're really holy and all that, that's your reward. Because see, the issue isn't whether someone else sees and notices your good deeds. Because that can always be perverted. And it's also true that, you know what? It also can't be prevented that people see your good deeds. And Jesus doesn't say it's bad that people see him. Jesus, again, what's he doing? He's talking about the heart. What's the motivation within your heart? Because if you remember back just a, a number of weeks ago, we read this and talked about this. Matthew five sixteen. Jesus said this, let your heart shine before men so that many may see your good deeds and do what? Give praise to your Father in heaven. So Jesus says, just a couple of pages back, uh, let people see your good deeds. <laughs> uh, and then he comes here and says, don't let everybody see him. What's he really saying? He says, 
Who gets the applause? Is it you? Or is it God? Now, here's the deal, because every once in a while, you, one of you, or will come up to me and you might say something like, oh, PT, thanks for sharing that today because it did this. Okay, <clears throat> you can still do that every other month if you want to, but um, here's the deal. If you come up and say that, I'm not going to lose my reward if I go, thank you. I appreciate that. But here's what a lot of people do. I, I learned this when I was in Bible college. Remember I told you it was kind of a difficult place for me at the preacher factory because I was a really new Christian and I didn't know all the Christianese. I didn't know all the craziness that Christians act like. I, hadn't, I didn't have enough in me yet to get there. So I didn't know that you were supposed to talk a certain way and act a certain way. And that your voice was going to change and all of these crazy, crazy things. And so one time I said something to somebody that they did a good job. I think it was leading, a, they sang a song in chapel. And I said, man, that was really moving and great. And thank you for sharing it. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not me. That's all God. I'm just standing behind the cross. Don't I felt, didn't I feel stupid? I did. I, I go, oh, okay, well, okay. Yeah, I can't even say good job. And see, that's how, see, to me, that's kind of a form of spiritual pride because you want to sound so holy. And, and, and someone said to me one time, you know what you do? You just say, thank you. Amen. And then you go back and you say, God, thank you for this ability to do whatever I do. But see, we kind of learn these Holy Spirit tones and these ways of talking that just aren't real. Jesus is saying, who, who are you doing it for? Who are the applause for? Is it for you or for God? Here's a great question. Here's a litmus test. Would I still do this if no one would ever know that I did it? Would I still stack chairs? Would I still go mow the lawns at the church? Would I still serve people? So the first question you want to ask yourself, would I still do this if nobody knew? Nobody said thanks. And would I still do this if nobody ever said anything nice to me? And do I turn around and give God the glory? See, we can do so many things to draw attention to ourselves rather than honor God. I had an evangelist that came to chapel when I was in Bible college. And he would speak, and he had a prophetic, he, he had a prophetic gift. And so he'd be in a room like this, and he would be speaking, and then he would just, he would pick somebody out, and he would say, hey, Chris, I got a word from you from the Lord. And he would begin to speak scriptures and give just a little bit of intonation of what it meant. So, so when, I was a, when I was a senior in Bible college, it was uh, February 24th, 1981. This guy named Dick Mills, who was an evangelist, he came and he said, hey, hey, you, stand up. And I stood up and he began to, get, he gave me um, uh, two, four, he gave me seven verses. And he just quoted them to me. And they all had to do with money and giving and blessing. And this is what he said to me. He said, young man, if, if you are a generous giving person, you will oversee a generous giving ministry. 
and you will never have to beg, and you will never have to be without. <laughs> Everybody comes up to me after, oh, man, I'd like to have that one. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you, the early years of my ministry, I had nothing. And even when we came here, it was pretty bleak. But God has been so good. We don't do without. God has honored those promises. Now, can I tell you, and I got to be careful because I'll probably lose my reward. <laughs> but I've, 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 I feel like I've been a generous person. Now, I... Now, this is how difficult all of this is. So when, when, when that was given to me, I just, I didn't have a lot of money my first 20 years in ministries, but, but I always tried to do things, give and pay for as much as I could. Sometimes, a lot of times, even when I couldn't, you know, I'd help people and blah, blah, blah. So did, have you ever gone and to the restaurant and done something like this? You just say, I want to bless these people. So you walk in and you either excuse yourself to go to the bathroom or when you're coming in, you get the maitre d' or the person seating. You give them your card and you say, hey, I want you to cover this. Just make sure, you know, just take care of it. Don't bring the bill to the thing until you come to bring it for me to sign. Or actually, I, you, usually when you do that, you say, I'll come and sign it after or some other time. So it's very discreet. And all of a sudden... You know, everyone's, the dinner's done and everyone's um, finishing up and they're getting ready to go, but nobody goes because it'd be rude because the bill hasn't been paid because they want to help pay for it. And all of a sudden the person comes over and they kind of stand behind you or next to you and they put their arm on your shoulder and they go, just everyone have a great night. It's been covered. And so what do you do? What do I do? I kind of stand there with a Cheshire, Cheshire cat grin and, you know, just kind of sitting there and everybody goes, oh, Terry, wow, you're so nice. You're so good. And, you know, high-fiving and hugging and telling you how great you are. And you go, oh, that was great. Now, I, I don't do it for that. I didn't do it for that. I just want to bless people. But one time, one time I did that. And at the end, you know, the, the, the person just come out and he was doing his work. He said, oh, by the way, it's covered, you know, and kept going. And everybody goes, oh, I wonder who did that. And nobody knew. And everybody just shuffled out. I started thinking, what's, what's the deal? You know what I learned from that? I, I kind of like the applause. That don't look so holy. <laughs> There's at least a couple of us here that do the same thing, right? Tell me at least two of us, one of us. Now, I don't do that all the time, but I know some of you now are thinking, hey, I'm going to go ask PT to go out to lunch. <laughs> hey, do you ever struggle with this? Do you ever catch yourself doing the right things for the wrong reasons? To be seen and applauded by others? The reason I tell you that, because every one of us loved ones is a mixed bag. At any point, 
At any time in our life, we can do everything for the right reasons in the right way and do it for God and his glory. And then all of a sudden, we are faced with this thing that we do it. We did this thing or we do that thing for the applause of people. The general theme Jesus is saying here is live for an audience of one. Everyone lives for an audience. Someone whom they want to please above all others. I told you growing up, my audience of one was my grandpa Riley. When I saw his face in the crowd at my baseball games, I just tried a little harder, hopefully played a little better. The focus of this passage is that God is our audience. And if God is pleased, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Who's your audience? Who's the face in the crowd that you see every day? Because here's what the problem is. Many of us fear God too little and reverence God too little and people too much. We live with this, we we, we live with this overdeveloped concern about what others think of us. We evaluate our lives on how it might affect other people's opinions of us. And it's, it's, it's easy to get really addicted to applause and to the admiration of people. Why do people live with sin for so long? Why don't they deal with it? Probably because they have a greater fear of people and little fear and reverence for God. And do you fear God too little and people too much? I love my phone. I really detest social media. Now, I'm not, don't, I'm not saying that you're bad if you do it. But what is social media? What has it done to our culture? It's really forced us to keep up with everybody. It's really forced us to present an image. We got these things, what do we do, selfies? Man, I'm having a great day. Hey, wish you were here. Wish you were, you know, look at my, look at my lunch, man. It's, I'm eating over at Vicks and I got this and I got that and I'm hanging out with, look at my friends. They're so happy. I'm paying for it. They dig me, you know? (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have put that on there. I took my besties out to lunch. You know, we post all of these things. We got the perfect family situation. Look at us. We're praying together. Why do we do that? Because we want people to see that we're all together. Now, I'm not saying this for everybody, so don't send me emails and say, oh, I don't feel that way. I'm good, good. Hey, you don't have to tell me then. Now, let me give you another honest Riley thing. I used to do Facebook back when it was Vogue. You know, it was cool. It was right on. I quit doing it because I'd say things, and then I'd check and see if anybody liked it. Does any, are you guys with me on this? Okay. And I, I'd look and if I didn't see, you know, sometimes I'd say something and I'd have, you know, 20 people. I'd go, oh, yeah. So now I'm scrambling to find something else. And then I would say something else. And then nobody crickets. You know what I found? My emotions are going up and they're going down. Because people aren't liking me. 
I read this. It says this, our culture is obsessed with image, looking good over being good, with applause and accolades from people rather than attention and approval from the Father. It's exhausting. We're always trying to keep up, stay cool, stay informed, be well-read, up-to-date, in vogue. We end up living with our emotional state rising and falling based on what people are saying or aren't saying about us. We end up living, we end up living into a stereotype from our culture by the way we dress, the way we think, the way we act, the way we vote rather than our identity coming from God the Father. We end up living under the tyranny of the approval or disapproval of other people, which is suffocating as we live in a place of fear, not faith. See, Proverbs 29, 25 says, this fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It doesn't matter how many followers I have. I don't have any. Because here's what I know about me. Uh, it would never be enough. Now, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It can only make you do the right things for the wrong reasons when you fear man over God. Jesus said this. He's talking to people in John chapter 12. And he says, yet at the same time, many where even among the, the, the leaders believed in him. But, 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 big but. But because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they would not openly acknowledge their faith in Jesus for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They loved human praises more than praise from God. Fear of people is a trap. Those who fear people too much will ultimately end up fearing God too little. How about you? Are you doing the right things, but for the wrong audience? Are you living for the audience of one? Is Jesus, is Father God the face that you see in the crowd when you start your day, as you go through your day? That's the general theme of this passage. Now I want to look at the specific deed that Jesus uses as an illustration of how this kind of plays out. The specific deed that Jesus is talking about here is giving to the needy. See, the Jews considered giving to the poor uh, a very noble thing, that they would use the same word oftentimes, zedekah, um, for both almsgiving and righteousness. See, it was just a very righteous thing to do for them to give. To the poor. I mean, it was like, it, it was tops in the catalog of good things to do. But Jesus is reminding these people here, it's about the heart. And he, and Jesus is against this ostentatious almsgiving, giving to draw attention to yourself. And he uses this picture of someone blowing the trumpet when they're getting ready to give. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that's sandwiched in between the gifts of 12 and 14, you'll see that Paul starts it off and he says, listen, I don't care if you can preach like Chuck Swindoll. I don't care if you give like Bill Gates. I don't care if you serve, like fill in your name. I don't care if you can pray and speak in tongues. If you don't have love, you are simply a gonging symbol. You're just making noise. 
And that's what Jesus says. Don't be a noisemaker when you're doing these things, because if you do, you're probably not doing them out of love. And hear me, loved ones. Love is our ultimate foundational motivation. It's kind of from this story that Jesus tells uh, where we get the saying, don't toot your own horn. You know, when someone brags, when someone's bragging about who they are or what they do, Jesus says, when you give, don't toot your own horn. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't give so everybody else notices. He says, instead, I want you to do this. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And now that's really kind of a proverbial statement that people believe that Jesus picked up there. It's got the idea of where you kind of do it spontaneously. It's not like you're really thinking so much about it and how you're going to do it, but it's that you do it. Uh, there's a story about Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century, who, who, who had the first probably megachurch in the history of the world. Him and, his, him and his wife would sell eggs, but they refused to give any of their eggs that they got from their chickens away. Even he said, even even their close relatives had to pay for these eggs. Well, as a result, the word started getting around London and the area. Oh, you know, Spurgeon's cheap. He's, he doesn't even give his eggs away to anybody, anybody in need or whatever. And you know what? He just sat there, took the criticism, and never once answered why he did this. Everyone thought he was just greedy. It was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died that the true story came out and that the sales of those eggs were used to support two widows. See, Spurgeon lived with this idea, I'm not going to let my left hand know what my right hand does. And they endured all of this criticism in silence. That's what I love about Creekside. A lot of you, I don't know who gives what. I don't check. Every once in a while, some of you will give a gift or say, hey, I just want to give this gift. And you're, you're not bragging. I've never, nobody's really tooted their horn ever that I can think of here. This has been a generous church. Do you realize that I can't remember the last time I said we're going to receive an offering? Now, let me just add right there. I hope you're giving. Okay? I hope you're giving. It's not about our church. It's about you. It's about, does, does your money have you or do you have your money? Mm-hmm. See, people, we're not going to blow a trumpet when we give, but we can do it in, you know, other more soldable, uh, subtle ways. It's kind of tricky the way it works, isn't it? I've tried to live and pastor um, with, with this kind of principle. And again, I hope I don't lose some rewards here. But I've tried to live this out with us, that I don't beg for money. I always told God I'm not a good salesperson, so if you, if, if, if you don't provide it, I'm not going to beg it, okay? That's just not the way I'm going to roll. And I don't talk a lot about money unless I'm doing a series. And I'm not saying anybody's good or bad, or I'm not trying to say I'm better. It's just God gave me those promises back in 1981, and I believe them. 
But let me remind you of a couple of things. In the last 15 to 20 years, Creekside has been in the top five missions giving of Open Bible for probably at least 15 years, maybe 20. But I'll be safe and say 15. We've been in the top five of missions giving. Now, here's what our denomination does, and I'm not saying anything bad about it, but they always send out this little certificate. Creekside Church, congratulations for leading the denomination and giving, and there's the number. Do you know how many times I get that and I want to put it in a frame and put it on a wall? But I don't. Because it's really not about Creekside. You're generous, and we live that. Thank you. Thank you for being obedient. But I don't have to put a plaque up. Because I don't want it to ever become a source of pride for Creekside. Our crab feed. Do you realize, I can't remember what number it was, but I think we're 17 or 18 years. We have raised, and I don't talk about this, okay? So uh, I'm doing it today because I just think it's time that you know some of these things. And then you'll probably tuck it away and go, okay, good, that's great. Praise God, I hope we say that. But our crab feeds raised over $900,000 for our local schools. $900,000. And if you kick in the money that Creekside, just our church, has given as well for different projects, we have given in the last 15 to 20 years well over a million dollars to just our local schools. Can we say thank you, God? I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's... But I don't stand up and blow the trumpet very often. You know, we just spent, I think, seven or $8,000 on porta-potties for the homeless downtown. I told you that a year ago. We, we believe the poor are important because they're important to Jesus. See, I'm always torn as a church and personally between Matthew 5, 16, where it says, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your father who is in heaven. And this other passage, that says, give in secret. There's a real tension there for me. See, when we, when we go and we present these 10, 15, 20, $30,000 checks to the school, we never call the newspaper. We never call KTVU Channel 7 News. And people have come to me and said, PT, why don't we do it? I said, you know something? If the school wants to do that, that's their business. But we're not going to do that. And so I think we only have one picture of us giving away um, resources to schools. And it's because they called, not because we did. Why? Because I, uh, I want to, we're not doing it in total secret because we're giving it to a whole school and whole schools. But it's for their purpose, not ours. It's all about motive, loved ones. Who are we trying to impress and why? And I've always wanted our motives to be as pure as possible. But I know my motives are never 100% pure. But I work hard at it so that our church can continue to experience the reward of the Father. 
Now notice what Jesus says to his followers there. He says, give to the needy. He doesn't say if you give. He says, but when you give. Jesus expects his loved ones to be giving to them. The entire Bible is so filled with expressions of God's concern for the poor. And he calls us to be generous toward them. There's a book I'm going to get because it talks about when it doesn't help to give. And I think that's important to understand. So I want to kind of, kind of parenthetically add that. So I'm not calling us just to this wholesale, you know, no matter what, because you can enable and cause more troubles by giving. But here's what God said to his people in Deuteronomy 7:15. It is altar call before Moses transitioned to Joshua. If there is poor among you, do not be hard hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother or sister. Rather be open-hearted, be open-handed, freely lend to him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without, grud without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I commend you to be open-handed toward your brothers and sisters, toward the poor in needy of your land. Notice that language. Don't you love that language? Don't be tight-fisted. Don't be grudging. Don't be hard-hearted. I was going to have everybody do this, but I, I thought, man, I'd probably embarrass some or make some of you mad, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, I decided not to do it, and then I got here at the church, and I forgot I was going to do this. So I had to steal some money from some friends. But, you know, there's, there, what, what does he use? He uses this term like tight-fisted, open-handed. Who, who would right now just say, I wish you were done, and I'd like to have a coffee? <laughs> this, I, I guess no. I guess nobody's. Oh well. Okay. Well, I'll keep going. Um, no. How, how, here's here's the picture. Take your hands and go like this. Close them up. See, this is tight-fisted. It is tight. I'm hanging on. I'm holding on. And God says, "That's not how we live in our kingdom." So what does He do? He says, "Dear friend, open your hands." God says, "I want you to take your hands and turn them the other way." See, isn't it, it's funny, in watching everybody, all of your hands are just like this. You're holding on. It's like nothing's going to fall out. But see, he says, I want you to open your hands. So now open your hands. And when you open your hands, guess what happens? If you open them, whatever's in there falls out. Now you go have a big coffee or something. <laughs> or, or, or milkshake or whatever else. No, no, that's called the blessing of the Lord. All four dollars of it. Oh, now, I wanted to do 20s, but my friends were really cheap. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They were very generous. They ran out to their cars and got them because I had some 20s, I think. I, maybe not. No, I don't. Of course not. Um, but see, that's what God wants us to do, loved ones. And then not show off like I just did. You know what I mean? He wants us to live open-handed because of who we are. Proverbs 19, 17 says, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. He will give a reward to the lender. Isn't it interesting thought? When you give to the poor, they can't repay you. But God says, I am your rewarder.
Proverbs 29 says, A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Jesus preached good news to the poor. He repeatedly calls his followers to reach out and to help the poor. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he made it a central part of his ministry. If you read the book of Philippians, you read the book of Acts, you'll see it all over. Here's the motive. We do it for God's glory and for our personal growth, so we never become so attached to our stuff that we can't give, and we never become so consumed and concerned with our image that people are more important in what they see than what God sees. That's the motive. And here's the manner. There's many ways to live this out, but the key is to be a kingdom person who is a generous person. There's probably a couple of us in this room that just need to be set free from the trap of living for others. Wanting to look good. Have image management going on. Where we want the applause of people instead of the reward of our heavenly father. I love Jesus. He's such a great teacher and he gives application. He gives a simple starting point and it's always the righteousness that only comes from a relationship to him. Don't let your, your righteousness, your relationship with me be a means of getting the applause of others around you. Do it for my glory. Can I just give you an invitation this morning as we close? Maybe you find yourself like me in those times where you start doing things so people will notice and maybe they'll applaud. That's a grip. That's a fear that has to be broken. Let me give you an invitation to help break this. Go do something for someone who has need. Uh, volunteer somewhere. Help a single parent with child care. Let them get away. Have a good night. Or maybe if you have resources, pay for a petty manicure and send them out and take care of their kid, kids. A single dad, give them tickets to an A's game. Take care of their kids if they're younger. Do it secretly. Don't do it. Whoa, look what I did today, man. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't go to your Wednesday night small group and go, well, I just want to give praise to God. <laughs> I was able to bless this family and, oh, dumb. I know, it's all God. Do it secretly. Because you love. And because God has been so good to you. Don't do it to prove something. Don't do it because PT said to, because I'm not. I'm just, I'm just giving you an invitation. But here's what the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six: God is a rewarder to those who please him. What's the rewards? Wrong question. <laughs> I don't know. I can stand here and tell you that this church has experienced incredible blessing and I'm so thankful because you've been generous. 
But while you're doing it, while you're doing that act, I want you to stop in the middle of it or at the end of it. And I want you to just do something really practical. I want you to stop and I want you to think. Think for a moment, oh God, I'm doing this for your glory. And then I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see the Father. I want you to see the Father's face and I want you to sense the Father's goodwill towards you, that he's smiling at you. He's the one that's applauding because you're doing it for him. Not for Creekside, not for here or there, but you're doing it for him and he's your rewarder. No, you're not earning his love. You're not trying to work for it any more than when I ask my grandson Isaac to do something and he does it. I love him more. But there's something of pride and joy that grows when I see him do something to please me. Because see, you're already in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Just imagine his smiling face and his love upon you and feel the suffocating weight of trying to live for everybody else begin to fall off because you're pleasing your Father. Let's stand and pray. Would you just take your hands... Would you just put them out in front of you like this, just wide open? Father, we come today, it's so easy to get it mixed up, who we're living for, who we're serving for, who we're giving for. Lord, help us to live with hands wide open. That we're givers because you're a giver. That we bless because you're a blesser. God, I thank you for these people that are standing here and those who are online who for so many years have been a part of the generosity of God from Creekside. And today, we want to give you thanks for that. But Lord, as we move forward, help us to live with hands and hearts wide open. In Jesus' name, amen.